Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 108 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is March 10th. 2010. We got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to talk some recruiting with Gerard Martinez. We're going to talk to our new uscfootball.com beat writer, Dan Weber, get his thoughts from winter workouts. And of course, we love talking to Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. We are joined by the coach right now. Coach, how you doing, man? What's going on? Ryan, I am doing great. I had a chance to get out of town a little bit. Went up to the WCC tournament uh, in Las Vegas at New Orleans Arena. I had a great time. Got back last night and uh, saw a lot of people and enjoyed it. And now the Pac-10 tournament, of course, this week. It's uh, March Madness time. I really get into college basketball towards the end and into March Madness. I think it's very exciting and so on to see that. And it sort of rolls right through that in the spring practice. The spring practice is starting everywhere now. Some schools are almost done. So uh, SC's about ready to start. Uh, other schools are about ready to start. So, you know, this is when uh, football really comes back. So uh, I'm looking forward to all of this. Coach, I am as well. March Madness is a fun time. Unfortunate that the USC basketball team won't be able to take part, but uh, Hats off to those guys. They had to play through some tough situations and circumstances. They had a rough finish to the year, five losses in a row. But uh, I think the, the future is bright for the USC basketball program. But as always, if you have questions or comments, you can always drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com. We love to answer your questions. If you want to send us an audio question, we love to hear what you have to say. Otherwise, we can read them over the, the airwaves or the Internet waves or whatever you want to call it for the podcast. We'll answer your questions. We've got a bunch of those coming up today. And wanted to thank our sponsor for the first segment, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website. Or if you want to give them a call, 800-888-7287. Any kind of sporting events, concerts. we got baseballs coming up, Coach. Lots of stuff going on in the sporting world. If you need tickets, go to SCTickets.com. That's where we like to go. I tell you, I love to go there. And I heard a lot of people went there for the soccer tickets for, uh, what was it, two weekends ago over at the Rose Bowl, and uh, so it's a busy place, and you know, a lot they don't do a lot of advertising because they don't have to advertise, as people know, their prices beat a lot of prices around, so uh, get over there and see Curtis, tell Curtis, the old coach sent you in, and who knows, you might get a deal. Yeah, or they, maybe if you, don't mention the coach, don't mention me, mention the coach, if you mention me, you might get more, <laughs> he might charge you more. Uh, no, I don't think I'll do that. Uh, well, Coach, we had uh, an interesting question last week about Pac-10 expansion from Diane, and you wanted her to write back in and find out if she was a Fresno State alum. Her question was, uh, would Fresno State be a good candidate for uh, ex- expansion in the Pac-10? She wrote back and kind of explained her situation a little bit. She loves the show and listens every week. Uh, she's not a, fr- a Fresno State alum, but I don't know if the USC fans are like that. She's a UCLA alum. But her daughter's uh, a member of the USC marching band, and you know, so she's Cardinal and Gold fan now. Uh, she has read Meat Market by our friend Bruce Feldman and uh, Year of the Dog, and hopes that Mitch Mustaine is going to get some playing time. So she's she's really into college football. But the the reason for her question was she read a Fresno uh, Fresno B article 
that talked about Fresno being a good candidate as far as the athletic programs go. And they won a, a baseball national championship recently. And at least I didn't get to read the whole article, but apparently the gist of it was uh, as far as the athletic programs go, it seemed like it would be a good fit. And then the last week you kind of talked about it really wasn't what the Pac-10 was looking for as far as expansion goes. Uh, and I agree. And I, and I want to tell Diane, Diane, I really appreciate you communicating with us. I'll tell you, this is what we want to do with our listeners. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm proud of you to write in and, and, and get another answer and ask you what my thoughts are. You know, uh, when I, I didn't want to pick on Fresno State when I said they, they're not the right team, but they just don't bring enough to the table. And of course, the Fresno B is going to be always in favoritism of, of Fresno State because they want, of course, uh, to have, they would love to have Fresno State. Can you imagine Fresno State yeah. in the Pac-10 with UCLA and SC and and all these teams coming into Fresno and so on? They go crazy. They they really would. But it just doesn't doesn't bring enough to the Pac-10. In fact, the more I talk with people, the more I talk with people. Okay, people out there in the world that supposedly knows. I don't think there is going to be an expansion of the Pac-10. I don't think there's anybody out there right now who really can bring to the Pac-10 what the Pac-10 needs. And, you know, they don't need a lot. They just need a lot of modernizing themselves as far as marketing and, and maybe a uh, their own, uh, you know, affiliate channel like the Mountain Camp uh, channel and the Big Ten Network and so on, or maybe re-sign a contract with someone that gives them some great exposure. They need to move to the 20th century. They need to they need to move forward. Over the last, say, 10 years, they've really drugged their feet. I'm just going to be honest with you. They've lived off their laurels. And uh, a lot of the other aggressive conferences have moved up and caught up with them, and they're marketing themselves better, and they got a better television uh, exposure network as far as getting their uh, marketing out there, like the ESPN contract with the Southeastern Conference, the Big Ten Network, and all the Mountain, uh, Mountain West Conference with their own cable and so on. They've sort of drugged their feet. And, and, and when I say this, when you look at a lot of the things they do compared to what the other conferences do, they, they're behind them as far as exposure. They need, to, they need to upgrade. They need to get out there. They need to uh, promote themselves, and and they need to do that with themselves or someone who can bring them that type of additional exposure in marketing. And right now, I can't think of of a school. I don't believe it's going to be a Utah. I said that or a BYU. I don't, and I really don't think it's. I mentioned Nebraska, but I don't think Nebraska would really leave uh, the Big Twelve or Colorado could want to, because they've got to share the pot of the Rose Bowl money with two teams and believe me it's got to be more coming in than going out today with the financial pictures the way they are so the more i talk to people i really think that it it really hit in a hurry like scott mentioned it once the new commissioner of the pac-10 he's exploring everything he's exploring changing media day he's exploring exploring you know making it a two-day event rather than a one-day event and making it a a more highlighted event for more you know, radio, TV, radio, row. You go to a lot of these southeastern conferences, and they have they have golf tournaments. Each speaker has you know uh, a half hour uh, or longer, and and every television station from every city's there, and they do all these different things. The Pac-10 hadn't done any of that, so they've dropped behind 
as far as uh, in their publicity and so publicity and so on, marketing the conference. So uh, right now, my think, uh, thinking is, Diane, I don't think they're going to expand. I really don't think they're expanding. And if they do expand, it's going to be in the very uh, not near future. It's going to be five years or so from now. If they even think about it, they've got a lot of things to do before they think about expansion. Believe me. All right. Well, Diane, thanks for that question and follow up there. And anyone else, podcast at uscfootball.com. Drop us a question, especially in the offseason. There's always stuff to talk about Trojan football. we got spring football coming up at the end of the month, March 30th. So lots of stuff going on. And, Coach, it kind of leads us to our next uh, topic from Fresno State. There's two things that I've been observing down at the offseason workout. So right now, just if people don't know what's going on, uh, they do conditioning workouts in the mornings with four days a week with uh, – Aaron Osmus, the new head strength and conditioning coach. Um, So that's four days a week they're doing that. So they do some weight room, do some work on the field, some movement and stuff like that. And now the coaches have very limited time with the players on the field, but they can go on the field without footballs and do some conditioning drills. And that usually lasts like 45 minutes or so, um, 45 minutes to an hour, something like that. And then a couple days a week, the players will go out on their own with footballs where no coaches can be around conditioning coaches, strength coaches, anyone. So only the players, and they'll throw the ball around. Sometimes it's only a few guys. Sometimes it's like most of the team where they'll do seven-on-seven drills. And they've been kind of doing that, all of that in preparation for spring football. They do have spring break next week, so that won't be going on. They'll have a, a week off, and then they'll get ready again for spring football. But two things, Coach, that kind of stood out to me a little bit. I got to see John Baxter in action yesterday. He's the new associate head coach, I think 14-year career at Fresno State. Uh, you know, really learned a lot in college. He has he produces a presentation called the Academic Game Plan uh, that a lot of different schools use, and I think that Lane Kiffin was pretty excited. He's going to be bringing that expertise, and I think the team actually just had, even maybe, I think it might have been this morning they had a presentation, a forty-five minute presentation from John Baxter on that Academic Game Plan. It's definitely it's it's geared to trying to help these student athletes you know, with the, the student part of it more than the athlete part of it, trying to be able to balance both. But that bringing him on, I think, is a big hire. They needed someone for special teams, and someone with that kind of college experience I think will really help some of the guys on this young staff. And then the other part was, Coach, and uh, Dan Weber was talking about this a little bit, our new beat writer, the, the conditioning workouts are a lot different now. Under Pete Carroll, it was kind of like they went over plays. They, they substituted cones for um, – for footballs and kind of went over formations and stuff like that. This, these conditioning workouts with the coaches, it's old school. It looks like the, you know, football movies from the sixties or something. Guys are tumbling and rolling and jumping. And there's a lot of emphasis on getting back on your feet and quick feet and moving fast, getting back up. Cause a lot of times I think this USC team has been knocked down in the past couple of years and weren't getting back up. And I think that's something these new coaches recognize and it's really kind of fun to watch, Coach. It's like old school. If you get knocked up, you know, get knocked down, you're getting back up. And I just want to kind of get your thoughts on those two aspects of the, the program going forward. You know, it's a funny thing. In football, thing, football uh, goes in cycles. It really does. Uh, you try new things, and then finally you find out sometimes that really doesn't work, and you go back to the, the real game of football. And uh, I agree with you. I really uh, think that sometimes you forget the – the basics of the game. You know, football is a gladiator sport. Uh, it's a, a sport that it's hit or, and, and get knocked down and get back up to get hit again or hit somebody else or, or so on. 
And uh, a lot of times I have not seen those drills. I agree with you. The old circle drills, the bull in the ring drill they used to have all the time, the up and downs, all these different drills. And, and when you get knocked down, you're supposed to get up. And, you know, it's true. Sometimes when you watch films, you see guys getting blocked but not getting back up and getting back into play. But it also is a great conditioning drill. I have never believed in doing a conditioning drill that doesn't relate with the game. A lot of times I see conditioning game, uh, drills that don't relate with the game. I mean, why waste your time out there unless in some way that drill is associated with something that might happen to you during the game, as far as something you rely on, as far as pursuit or getting knocked down or getting up or, or taking angles or doing different things that you need to do, feet and hand coordination, jumping over bags, jumping over bodies, the same type of thing, learning to divert your angle of pursuit or run around things. I mean, everything you do in conditioning should really be a part of the game. And, and, and a lot of times you don't see that in drills. Now, of course, this is my philosophy. And, of course, there's a lot of new modern ideas out there that you do. It used to be, too, that you wanted to be a power lifter and you want explosion. In, 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 in your conditioning. I, in fact, I used to allow anybody who could score points for our track team, score points, not just go out there and try to get out of spring practice, but <laughs> score points I would let go out for track. Like if Ron Ellis came to me and said, I could really use your big tackle coaches. He was a discus thrower in, in high school. He was a state champion shot putter and so on. I'd say if he can score points, Ron, then he can he can shot put for you on Saturday. I mean, not that he misses football workouts and meetings and so on, but I'd let him go out there. And I really believe you learn something from participating in other sports and the explosion of shot putting, the explosion of distance throwing. And if you're a sprinter, you learn how to run better as far as if you're out there in track, you get faster, you got great coaches on the track program. And, you know, everyone gets along. Not that you get out of spring practice. You don't, you don't come to me and say, hey, I'm going out for track. No, you, you, you only go out for track when, we're, when, we, when they need you and when you can score points. But you haven't seen that either much uh, at USC as you did in the past. I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see that happen more at USC, too. You know, so things go in cycles. And, 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 you're, and, and I've been told by players that the lifting is a little bit different at USC. They're going back to more of the heavy type of lifting and explosion type of lifting that they didn't do under Chris Carlisle. Chris did not believe that uh, power was a, a part of the game, that he believed in quickness and all of that, agility and flexibility was part of the game, which I believe in too. But I believe there's a combination to a both because I never really did see the offensive line knock anybody off the ball. And, and I think that you have to have power and agility to knock somebody off the ball when it's a tough situation. So I think you learn. I think that different conditioning programs have different goals, and I really do believe that uh, it will all come out in the long run, no matter which one you do. If you believe in it and the players believe in it, it works. Yeah, Coach, One of the, the, the way they did it, they had stations for split up by position, and like you said, they had these circle drills where – Guys were running around circles. There was uh, core stuff where they had, you know, big 45-pound weights where they were doing, like, sit-ups and stuff. It looked really old school. Ed Orgeron and uh, some of the guys were yelling at these guys. They had to dive and roll and things like that. And then they, they ended it on, I think they lined up guys um, 
I don't know, maybe like uh, 12, 15 guys across from maybe 20 yards away, cones to cones. And they had big lines of all these guys. And they had to, it was like you were in a push-up position, but you had to keep your feet dancing. So you had to, you know, lift up your left foot, lift up your right foot. So your your hands are on the ground and your feet are on the ground behind you like you're in a push-up. And your feet are, are ta- your toes are kind of tapping the ground. And then they would like blow a whistle one way or the other. And you would have to to roll you'd that fall way. on the ground. Yeah, oh yeah. You roll, roll, roll and get back up and roll. Yeah, those are the old drills. Those yeah. are all of them. And then they'd get up, at, you know, at the end, get up quick and sprint to the other side. And they, you know, they the guys look gassed after doing that. But it, you could tell, you could see some of the offensive linemen that were able to move, you know, well, and some of the guys that were a little stiffer and weren't able to maneuver those drills. And it, it was it was kind of telling. Like I wasn't able to notice that from some of the drills they used to run in the past. No, those are the good old drills. And when you make that roll, remember, you're supposed to stay off the ground. You're not supposed to let your body, body touch the ground. Yeah, I, I, I used to love those drills. Those are the drills that are all related to football. Sometimes during the game, you're going to get knocked down or roll out of position. You've got to keep your head up so you can still make a tackle when you're on the ground or getting off the ground. These are all drills that are related to the game of football, and I, and I think it's great. Yeah, and, and, uh, I don't know. It's... I think there's always optimism when you have something new coming in. There's going to be differences. And I think what we're trying to do is we're not saying that what Coach Carlisle did was wrong or different. I mean, I no. think what Coach Carlisle did worked for a really long time. and But it's different now. When you look at the guys, guys, you know, look at Stanley Havili or somebody, they're, they're more developed in their upper bodies. They are definitely doing a different program. Is one right or one wrong? I don't know. All we can really tell you is there's definitely a difference. Now, maybe they're gaining something and giving something up. I mean, nothing comes for free. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to claim to be an expert on what the weight training should be and stuff like that. But it's, it's interesting to me to see, and you've seen so many different coaching philosophies over the years, coach. I mean, there's, there's different philosophies going on. And I think Lane Kiffin didn't want to really be Pete Carrollite and do everything exactly the same. They bring in a new strength coach. I mean, they're bringing in some different philosophies. I I like it. You know, is it going to work? I mean, we have to wait and see. But there's definitely different things going on. And just for these kids that are 19, 20 years old, doing something different seems to excite these guys. And there's a definitely different attitude, too. And it's not because they didn't like what Pete Carroll was doing, I think. I think it's just because it's something a little bit different. It kind of gets them excited. You know what I'm talking about? I certainly do. Change is good, believe me. It's not the same old thing. And they're learning new drills, and they're learning how to do them. And they're, they're, and some of these drills, they're better in what they did before, and and uh, I, I agree. I think it's uh, it's good for the program. It's fresh for the program. And, uh, you know, uh, the, we're not talking about how many games uh, Lane Kiffin's going to win. We're talking about getting the team ready to play and give 100% effort. And this is when it's made in the spring and these type of drills and so on. I've, I've always believed in making, like I said earlier, every drill that you do during practice when you're in pads, or in conditioning, have to relate to the game. Like when I when when I used to talk to my strength coach about wind sprints, we never had wind sprints for 50 or 100 yards or so on. Uh, that didn't relate to the game. You don't run 100 yards every every minute and then recoup. But we used to drive the sled if we were offensive line for 20 straight plays, back in the huddle, break the huddle, come back out, just like it was a drive during the game. That's for conditioning. Drive for 10 yards, break, come back in the huddle. Get ready, call a play, come back out of the huddle, and run that, run it, run it, run it, and run it, just like you're in a game. And that was our conditioning, because it related to a game. 
or we would run a play, uh, run 10 yards, pretend it was a 10-yard game, huddle up, get back in the huddle, break the huddle, come back out, run 20 yards, a 20-yard play, get back up, get in the huddle, line up, come back out, run 30 yards. But do it so that when you, you're in the game, you don't look to the sideline and you don't point, take me out, I just made a 30-yard run, I'm tired. Or the offensive linemen have got their hands on their hips, breathing so hard, like, oh, my gosh, I've been in here seven plays in a row, or I'm going to drive, we need a big play because I'm tired. When it gets down, remember, the defense is on the field as long as the offense is on the field. So the guys that have the desire and the guys that are in better shape than the other one is going to succeed. It just makes sense when you get down to the goal line if you don't get a big play and so on. So I used to try to relate all of our conditioning drills, all of them and all of our uh, any type of off-season programs to the game of football. Makes a lot of sense, Coach. Well, we'll definitely be watching to see what happens. Spring football will be very exciting. Again, it starts March 30th. I think in the previous podcast I might have said March 28th by accident, but March 30th, the first day of spring ball, it's going to run till May 1st which ends uh, on the Trojan Huddle. We're actually going to have a little get-together, Coach, a little dinner on Thursday night, April 29th. We'll put more information out there as we get closer to the date, but it's the Thursday before the spring game at the National Sports Grill in Torrance. So we'll have some people out there, some speakers, and have a lot of fun, you know, talking a little, you know, we'll, we'll have already seen what happened all through spring football. All we'll need to know is what's going to happen for the spring game and then obviously through the summer and stuff. But National Sports Grill, April 29th, keep that on your calendars. Drop me an email, podcast at uscfootball.com if you have any questions on that. And, Coach, thanks very much for joining us, and we hope to talk to you again next week. Ryan, it's a pleasure always joining you. I tell you, you do a lot of things as far as a lot of get-togethers for all your members here on uscfootball.com. You really take care of them. You give a lot of information and so on, and I enjoy being a part of your huddle. Well, thanks, Coach. We're really glad to have you as part of the huddle. We try. We try our best to to get out there and show the fans some love and just do a lot. You know, it's a lot of fun. It's fun covering this team, and we want to try and share the best information possible. And I'm, I'm glad you've been a part of the podcast all this time so we could do that. Thank you very much, Ryan. And let's again thank Southern California Ticket Service. SCTickets.com. Everyone else, back in 30 seconds, we're going to be talking with Gerard Martinez, a lot of recruiting news. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined in this segment by uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Gerard, ready to talk some recruiting? Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready as I ever will be. Do you do anything else but talk recruiting? Like, Do you have other aspects of your life that no one knows about? 
Yes, but <laughs> they will continue not to know about them. So <laughs> we'll we'll just stick to recruiting for this uh, segment right now. Seriously, as much recruiting as you know, I don't realize. I I can't imagine you doing anything else. But uh, we do it. You know, you gotta. Hopefully, you get out there. Gotta get out in the town every once in a while. You can't just <laughs> have a life. Yes, it's it's not. I can say it's not easy. It's a it's a challenge every day, but. You know, I struggle through, and I'm living the dream. All right. Well, let's live the dream for all the fans out there. We've got a bunch of recruiting questions. If you have a question for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Always feel free to drop us an email anytime. Uh, lots of stuff going on in the recruiting world. we got some questions, some interesting ones out there. Uh, Ian Seau, who is a – is he, a, I believe, a cousin of Junior Seau. Is that correct? Yeah, cousin, nephew – Something like I, that. I think he's. And I think he's just a nephew. Um, nephew. Okay. Not one hundred percent sure of the the whole total family tree of the Seals, but yes, he is related. Yeah, and he's a defensive end. He's on the uh, rivals two hundred and fifty watch list, if I am not mistaken. And uh, Mike, who is a lifelong resident of San Antonio, wanted to know with the the legacy here with uh, Junior Seal, and this kid doesn't have an offer yet. Why why doesn't he have an offer? It should be a no brainer. What do you think? Well, I think uh, it just depends on local offers um, in general. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Um, I think the coaching staff just wants to see guys and evaluate them in person. If they feel like, you know, he's definitely uh, a player that can come in and contribute for them, then, you know, they'll offer him. Um, the defensive end position, I mean, they need a few defensive ends. It's not like uh, it's a position that's stacked that uh, they're not going to recruit some numbers at. Um, I think, you know, across the defensive line, defensive tackle, they need guys. Um, you know, Sal, obviously the name, you think linebacker, you think, you know, rush in. Uh, but he's a big kid already. You know, he's 240 pounds. He might be a guy that could even develop into a three technique. Um, but, again, you've got to watch these guys and evaluate them in person, see what kind of body type they have. I think a lot of people kind of forget this coaching staff was in Tennessee uh, at this point last year, and all the guys they were evaluating, for the most part, were in the southeast. So a lot of these kids, while you know, they're names that are um, familiar to us here on the West Coast and, and to people who follow CIF football, uh, they're not necessarily really familiar, uh, at least uh, in terms of seeing them in person and knowing the players as players on the field for this coaching staff that's here now. So it's just going to take time. You know, it's going to take some camps. It's, uh, he's a guy that uh, has a few offers now, I think Arizona, Colorado State, um, but it's not necessarily like the, the you know, whole Pac-10 is beating down his door. Uh, there are some other kids out there that, that already have quite a few Pac-10 offers um, that are in the same boat. So, you know, all those kids are just going to have to be patient. And, um, you know, the coaching staff is definitely going to want to see them in person and, and see what they can do and see how they project at their positions all right uh thanks for that one mike san antonio gerard you were just down there for the uh, army yeah. american bowl well, yeah it was cold as hell it was, it was almost as cold down in san antonio then as it was today at tower jones field at usc yeah it was pretty cold tuesday it was very cold there uh, we went out for the uh workouts the uh, throwing session and stuff a little chilly down there at usc it was windy and it was hard to throw the ball It was kind of fun to watch but we have a video up on uscfootball.com you can check that out a little bit later on on wednesday we'll have that video up if you want to see that uh next oh, we had a wind buffer on it yeah on the uh, on the camera cause... yeah wind was whipping uh kevin l had a question on running backs for the class of 2011 uh, JC running back Aaron Harris wanted to know if, if Aaron had an offer and how many backs you think USC was going to sign for the class of 2011. 
Well, that's a tough question. Um, as far as Aaron Harris goes, the last time I talked to his coach, he says, like, uh, I guess it was about a month ago, he didn't have an offer. He didn't have any offers, actually. And there was a lot of talk about him being, you know, a guy that was, you know, already kind of in the mix as far as schools kind of recruiting him. Um, but, you know, J.C. running back, he's supposed to be out uh, next December. It's always a challenge for USC with JUCO players. I mean, right now we're looking at Marquise Jackson and looking at what he's going through. I mean, this is a kid that, uh, you know, his brother Malik is at USC, and he's a smart kid. Uh, he's really a guy that, that's worked hard in the classroom uh, to be able to get in. He was committed to UCLA for a long time and thought he was going to be able to be a mid-December graduate and go to UCLA, and that didn't happen. And it was literally the night of signing day where he heard about basically the the, the class that he was supposed to be able to get in, the UCLA, the math class, it was not accepted by admissions. He called Ed Ergeron and said, Coach, uh, I, I want to go to USC. I mean, I, I, you know, UCLA wasn't an option. I know USC fans don't want to hear that. They want to hear it. USC was the first choice, but in that case, it wasn't. Uh, but USC was open for him, and uh, the coaches were more than happy to take him. He's a really good player, uh, but he's struggling with that right now. I mean, he hasn't been able to sign his letter of intent yet. Uh, to even you know be able he's committed but he hasn't been able to sign his letter of intent because of the classes that he's still got to take so it's it's a struggle it's it's um it's a different deal than you know what this coaching staff had to deal with at Tennessee getting kids from the junior college ranks into USC so uh, a guy like Aaron Harris and there's going to be plenty of players that come up that are going to be juco guys that USC is going to mess around with but um, if it you know if it becomes one of these deals where it's just an obstacle after an obstacle every time they recruit a junior college player and be able to get them in you know this coaching staff is going to kind of fall in line with what the last coaching staff did and they really stay away from junior college players and um, and were very very picky about the guys that they felt like they could get in and 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 really the only guys they went after were for sure mid December graduates and even then you know guys like Bryce Schwab didn't fall, you know, they said fell through at the end too. And um, that had really nothing to do with the new coaching staff. It just had uh, everything to do with him being able to enroll at Arizona State and not being able to enroll at USC, um, you know, at that mid-December graduation point. So um, it's a challenge and it's an issue. So, you know, Aaron Harris, that's going to be a problem with him um, down the line, not to say that he, he can't get in or he won't get in, but, uh, you know, people talking about Jugo guys, I just always kind of roll my eyes at it. Um, as far as the running back position numbers wise across the board, it, again, it's a, it's a tough question to answer right now because you got to see who's really legitimately interested in USC, and that's not going to happen until you start getting official visits. I think right now you're looking at two um, for sure uh, because you've got two guys graduating now in Bradford and CJ Gable, and obviously I think Joe McKnight and Stephon Johnson leaving this year. Uh, I don't think SC really expected to lose both guys this year. So that puts them back a little bit. Um, you know, DeAnthony Thomas is going to be uh, probably the number one uh, running back uh, prospect right now on the board for USC. Uh, he could obviously play a little bit of defensive back, um, but I think USC is probably going to focus in on him playing running back and, and want to put the ball in his hands, and, and that's probably where he prefers to play at this point too. So uh, it'll work out with his recruitment better to recruit him on offense. And But that's a guy that's not necessarily a 20-carry pro game running back. Uh, he's already got durability questions. Um, he's not gotten the running back or has not run the ball a whole lot for Crenshaw the past few years, um, even in their offense. And the high school level offense 
which, you know, they play good, good competition at Crenshaw, but let's face it, it's not Division One level guys that you're going against every game. And so and they've, and they've already kind of tapered off his carries and make sure that, you know, he's in the backfield with another running back, and they paced him. Um, so I think that's a guy that's a complimentary back to somebody else in this class. Now the question is, Who's that other guy? It's probably going to be a combo back. And, and again, we kind of talked about this a little bit in our uh, scholarship uh, breakdown and some of our uh, spotlight pieces we did for the 2011 class. Um, you got a lot of guys out there this year. It's a, it's a really, really good year for running backs, Nate um, nationally. Very, very good year for running backs. Um, but there's a lot of guys that are those combo backs. There's guys like uh, uh, Jamal Petit uh, or Petit and, um, and you know, uh, uh, Herschel Sims is the other kid that they just offered uh, from Abilene, Texas. He's about you know five ten, 190 pounds. A lot of guys that are really good running backs, but don't. I mean, they do a lot of really, they do a lot of things very well, but they don't do that one thing great. Uh, they don't have the really great track time speed, or they're not really big. Um, so they're a combo back. They kind of do a little bit of that Mark Tyler thing, where they kind of do a lot of things well. Good receivers, you know, good running backs, but not necessarily one thing spectacularly well. Uh, there's a lot of those guys kind of out there. So USC kind of has to sort through, you know, who likes them, who do they like the best. Uh, I think you could see three running backs get signed if that third guy is a guy like James Wilder Jr. Um, James Wilder Jr. is one of the few power backs, and that's probably the one aspect of this running back class that I think it falls short of being maybe a great class because there's not enough big power backs. You're not seeing a lot of guys that are that 6'1", uh, maybe even 6'2", 220 pounds plus in this class. There's a lot of guys that are 5'10", 180 pounds, 190 pounds. Um, but Wilder is one of the exceptions. He's about 6'2", almost 6'3", uh, 220 pounds. He is the son of James Wilder, uh, who played running back in the NFL. And James Wilder Jr. wants to play running back, which there's a lot of debate about that, you know, as far as his value as a player in terms of his build. He's 6'3". It's a little tall for a running back, and a lot of people feel like, you know, that you put him on defense as an outside linebacker, and he's a, he's a you know, kind of a Keith Rivers type guy. Um, whereas you put him at running back, and you, there's no value in a guy being over 6'1", because of that height, you know, they kind of chop you down a little bit with tackles. Uh, but he prefers to play running back, and he really feels like he can play running back. And he would be a guy that could fit in with USC being that power back in their offense, Plant High School, Tampa. Obviously, the Kiffins are very familiar with that area, and they're going to recruit the heck out of that kid. And they just actually offered uh, one of his teammates, Jordan Presswood, who He's a 6'5", 275-pound offensive tackle from the same high school. And there's actually a few pretty good players there in that, uh, that Tampa area um, and in Plant area, uh, Plant City, uh, this, this year. So USC is going to be pretty active there. They, they also uh, offered uh, Anthony Shaquille, who's from Alfonso uh, High School, which is a defensive end. Uh, his dad had played at Miami. Probably less of a chance um, that they're going to have on him. But um, they're in the area recruiting a bunch of guys, and uh, James Wilder Jr. is definitely going to be one of the top guys. And because he's an athlete and because he can't play both sides of the ball, they wouldn't hesitate to take three guys uh, with him in the mix, too. So, I mean, it's a long, verbose uh, answer to kind of a short <laughs> question, but you know what? We're in April. We're not even in April. We're in March still, and, and that's kind of where it sits when you have that many guys on the board. You have quite a few scholarships offered uh, out there, and, and you have to kind of hone in a little bit in that May evaluation period into the summer to figure out, okay, what guys do you really like? What guys fit our offense? And, uh, and what guys go best with um, you know, our top targets, guys like uh, maybe uh, DeAnthony Thomas. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks for that one, Kevin. Uh, Lauren had a question. It's a L-O-R-E-N. He's actually a man. It's not a woman on this one. But we did get a, another female question we had with uh, Coach Hyde. But 
not Lauren. So just so you know. Did, did so, we figure out? Did we figure out if the, the the girl was from Vegas? I think wasn't there a question about no uh, Fresno State UNLV? No, she uh, actually she oh, went. Fresno to, State, she's yeah. from the Fresno area, but she uh, went to UCLA and her daughter went to USC. Oh, uh, okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. Coach Harvey Hyde was betting on her being a Fresno State grad or something. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, this is from Lauren about Dak Smith. He's like, he emailed me like, what did I miss? What was going on here? Um, and he, he said he remembered Tony Smith, uh, Dak's father. But what do you have to share on uh, the Dak Smith front? Well, what did he miss? I don't know. When did he drop out from uh, following the recruiting process? <laughs> <laughs> I would say a lot. Um, Dakota Smith, uh, he did not sign with USC, uh, was committed to USC. From what I understand, he didn't sign with anybody. Um, what happened with Dakota Smith? That's, that's, a, whew, that's, a, that's a book um, being written. Um, and it basically, it came down to him, I think, not wanting to play football, to be honest with you. My, my honest opinion you know, I could get into all the specifics about, you know, his grades and, and, and not, you know, doing certain things on the field and, and not dropping weight, uh, not meeting certain goals that, you know, this coaching staff, the last coaching staff had set for him uh, throughout the process. And he just didn't show up uh, to perform. And I think at the end of the day, talking to him, um, I, I think he's just one of those kids that just kind of didn't really want to play football. He, when you're 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, 300 and 80 pounds, and you're the son of, everybody expects, well, football is what you're going to do. You know, football is what you're good at. That needs to be your meal ticket, you know, and you get kind of pigeonholed a little bit. And I think he was a kid that didn't necessarily like that. He didn't go with the flow, and, and he felt like, you know, he could do other things, and, and football was kind of pushed upon him. And, and it was one of those things that everybody was kind of trying to, it's like, listen, you know, this, this, you need to do this. This needs to be your thing. And he kind of rebelled against that a little bit. And basically that, that, that's how it went down. I mean, you're talking about a kid that was a sophomore in high school at Westchester and had a 4.0 GPA. He was a great student. And then all of a sudden you turn around and he, had, he was flunked classes left and right. And he wasn't showing up to play football, even at his high school team. I mean, he was making up injuries. I talked to the coaching staff there several times, and, and they were just like, yeah, he came in the other week, he had a scratch on his foot, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, he's out for the week, he can't play. And, and so that kind of stuff just tells me you got a little bit of that Whitney Lewis kind of syndrome. And, and, and for, for those who forget, Whitney Lewis was a, just a spectacular football player in high school, played for St. Bonaventure, five-star guy, came to USC. He was a 1,000-yard rusher, 1,000-yard receiver at St. Bonaventure. And I tell you, a lot of people talk about Whitney Lewis, and they, oh, you know, that's a bust. Oh, man, you guys are way off on him. I say, you know what? I go back to St. Bonaventure High School, and I see that kid playing football again from the way I saw him, saw him run, saw him catch. He's a five-star again. I wouldn't say anything different. I wouldn't go back and, in hindsight, say, well, yeah, he was really overrated. He wasn't overrated. He was that good in high school. He was that good at USC when he was a sophomore uh, coming in at spring ball when Mike Williams had the idea that he was going to go to the NFL early, and he jumped out of USC. You, uh, Dwayne Jarrett wasn't on campus yet, uh, so USC had that void at receiver, and Whitney Lewis for that spring was money. I mean, the guy was 220 pounds, he was fast, he was explosive. Uh, I think he had like something like seven, I don't know, eight catches or something in the spring game, uh, which is always kind of a, a little bit of a, a foreshadowing. It seems like the guys who are big in spring games anymore, the, the star of the huddle is almost, you know, destined to not play during the season. Um, but I digress. Uh, but but this is like a guy that I think, you know, he had that moment and then it, it was almost like it was too much for him. And then he slid in school, and it was just a progressive, couldn't get it done, couldn't get it done, couldn't get it done. And by 
you know, talking to people that were around him or were close to him, it seemed like at some point he just didn't really want to play football. He didn't want to make the sacrifices. And you know what? That's okay. I mean, just because you're gifted athletically, people think, well, that's what you have to do. Well, you know, if you realize it, you can get a free education out of it. That is what you should do, but not everybody wants to do it. And, uh, and I think he just felt like he could do other things. And I think the same thing with Dakota Smith. I think Dak just eventually felt like he was going to get railroaded into doing something he didn't want to do. And I don't know if he wanted to go to USC and, and bust his ass and, and have Coach Ergeron in his ear yelling at him and, and, and having to, you know, eat salads. I mean, I think he just wanted to do other things, and, and that's, that's fine. And, and that's basically, in my opinion, kind of what happened in a nutshell with Dakota Smith. So he's not at USC. I don't expect him to be at USC. I don't know if I, if I really anticipate him playing Division One football uh, ever. All right. Well, thanks for that one, Lauren. Hopefully that catches you up on everything. And then uh, one last question, Gerard, uh, on Latuan Anderson. He was supposed – this is from Jim Olson. He wanted to know uh, they were supposed to visit, then he didn't visit, and he was supposed to visit again, didn't visit. looks like there isn't going to be a visit now. What's, this, what's the latest there? It sounds like he's trying to go to Miami. Um, it's a very complicated situation. Never came out here – uh, from what I understand, he's, he's dropped USC. He's, it's too far. His folks were always kind of, I think, battling with him uh, against that. USC was the quote-unquote dream school, but um, distance was a, was a big factor for him. He's still technically committed to, uh, I think, West Virginia, but it sounds like he went down to Miami. Really likes Miami. The problem with Miami is that they got like 91 scholarships right now. Um, or 91 guys that are going to be on scholarship for next season, and so and that's counting with their recruiting class, obviously not you know the guys that are on campus right now. You can only have 85, but they're over, and so there's some talk of like him being on a track scholarship. It's a it's a mess, and it's uh, it's a mess that USC doesn't have to deal with, and nobody should worry about from USC's perspective. So okay. <laughs> so that was over. We 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 put that one to bed. Uh, Still waiting on Chantrell Henderson, see what's going to happen with him. I mean, obviously, uh, the NCAA meeting that was a couple weeks ago is going to dictate uh, what happens to him. And uh, I, I mean, I hear as long as USC uh, dodges any kind of bowl ban or any kind of TV ban, um, Chantrell Henderson will end up at SC. If not, there's a chance he goes to Miami. It sounds like Miami is actually his second pick. Uh, but again, Miami, from what I'm understanding, is just full of scholarships. So I don't know. Randy Shannon's going to be cutting some players, I think, from this team, or they're going to have some <laughs> magical, some magical medical redshirt injury type things that happen. Somebody might, you know, get arrested or something. You know, it's like uh, we don't like this guy. Well, he's not fast enough. So uh, let's uh, let's let's get him off the team somehow. Sometimes that happens. I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. I mean, you know, Randy Shannon. Sounds like he's uh, from everything I hear. He's a, he's a really respectful, respectable coach and uh, an outstanding guy. And, and so I, I, you know, I don't want to paint that picture on him. But uh, when, you, when you're over scholarships, I mean, somebody, somebody's somebody's going to have to be an academic issue or something because if you got 91, you can only have 85. Uh, you know, I'm not a math major, but that's that's not going to work. And I don't know how you're going to add Chantrell Henderson to that mix uh, when you're already over. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. But I mean, SC's confident with. Uh, with uh, what's going on with uh, the NCAA, um, you know that that's the vibe that we get from our sources, and uh, and thus they're probably pretty confident with Sean Trail Henderson. All right, and uh, that's all our questions. But I wanted to touch on something real quick, just a couple of minutes, if you have a second, Gerard. Uh, if you go to the front page of USCFootball.com, I think this is our, well, it's one of our newest features. I think it's one of our neatest ones. Um, the little insets there, right up near the top of the page, after like right near the first story. There will be a link called Scholarship Distribution Chart, and if you check that out, we have actually two of them. 
there's an offensive one and a defensive one, but each one has the same chart at the top of the story. And it's a pretty interesting way to look at how all the scholarships are distributed right now. And uh, from our count, USC now has 80 scholarships that have been awarded, including the, the incoming freshmen. So we have the, all these guys on the chart. Um, and we have it broken down between classes, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and by position. So you can see where most of the, the talent is located, uh, how many players are, are taking up spots at which positions. And it's a pretty cool way to kind of look at things. And Gerard, I know he put a lot of work into that. We all kind of, everyone kind of pitched in in different parts of it. But uh, just want to thank you, Gerard, for doing the work on that. It looks, it's a pretty cool feature. I think a lot of people have really enjoyed it so far. It will. I appreciate that. Um, it's uh, it's a weird kind of deal because when you're talking about needs and you're talking about uh, where players project uh, from a recruiting standpoint, I mean, it obviously has a lot to do with where players are on the depth chart. And that's kind of a work in progress right now, too, because we have a new coaching staff. Uh, we have a few players that have already kind of switched positions. James Boyd was playing tight end. Um, at the end of last year, it looks like he's going to be back at defensive end at this point. Um, you know, uh, Simeone Vaquite was playing uh, fullback last year. Now he's working out with the linebackers. Uh, Byron Moore told me that, you know, he wants to get a look at free safety instead of playing corner. I mean, there's a lot of guys that can go back and forth. Devon Kennard, and then obviously then, you know, kind of falls through to the recruiting process. And, you know, what are the needs? You know, right now, on paper, USC is 13 linebackers. And, you know, you ask any USC fan that follows USCfootball.com or is on the pair style, you know, they're freaking out about linebackers. It's like, you know, we got to recruit linebackers. We need more linebackers. We haven't had any more key linebackers in the past few years. And you're like, really? You've got 13 linebackers on the depth chart. <laughs> it's just, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not really, it doesn't really give you the full you know, the full emphasis on, on who's there and, and, and what the needs are and, and, you know, quantity over quality. And that's kind of where the breakdown comes in with the recruiting aspect of it. And uh, we have a neat kind of little pull-down menu for each position for some of the players that will be targets and, uh, you know, guys that have been, have been offered already and guys that USC may offer here in the future and kind of explaining just a little bit about what's on our roster currently and how adjustments on that roster uh, could affect the recruiting process. So, again, it's, 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 a, it's a really fluid kind of situation with that. And, you know, we're not going to really know for sure, I think, until I would say the end of spring ball. But, you know, even then, who knows? I mean, fall camp, I think, is really the, the, when you start to see where each player is going to play. And you go, okay, all right, Devon Kennard is back at, you know, weak side defensive end, okay, that changes things. You know, they need less defensive ends now. They need more linebackers. Or if he stays at linebacker, you have a needed defensive end. Hey, Ian Seau, we need to go see him because he's a guy that could uh, definitely add a lot of depth to the defensive end position. That's that's how it works, and that's that's why right now it's kind of hard to judge uh, with the scholarships and, and where they're going and, and, um, and who they actually need as to, you know, who – they just want to kind of check out for right now, put their foot in the door with the scholarship offer. Yeah, and like Shane Horton's another guy who they moved out of desperation to linebacker, and now there's more linebackers and safeties. Maybe he could move back to safety. There's a lot of options there, but the charts are a good way to kind of look at everything. And then, like you said, if you're interested in recruiting, you can pull, go to the pull-down menus and see what kind of targets are out there for the different positions and see where you know USC could need people in the future. Uh, but it's really well put together. So if you guys want to check it out, it's on uscfootball.com. Just look for the scholarship distribution chart, and I think you'll enjoy that feature. But, Gerard, 
that's all the time we got for this segment. It's always fun talking recruiting with you. Thanks very much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you for having me and, and listening to my babbling on recruiting <laughs> for another week. It was a lot. I felt there was a lot of, uh, there's just a lot of, uh, interesting topics that, uh, you can talk on and on and on about. And I did a little bit of that tonight, yeah. but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. That's it's, why we're uh, here. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's what, you know, people want to, Sometimes I have to think out loud in the podcast. You know, people think this is scripted, but believe me, it's not no, scripted. No, no. Tonight was a good example of that. Yeah, well, you know, if this, is, this is what people want to hear. Like, you know, we got a lot of requests. Why can't we listen to USC stuff on the radio during the off season? Nowhere can you get in L.A. We do a little bit uh, out of state, but the Peristyle Podcast every week. You can listen to a USC radio show all about USC all the time. You can't get that anywhere. So I think it's what people like, Gerard. So they don't, they don't mind that you're talking recruiting in mid-March. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's a lot going on uh, with the recruiting process, and people who get involved with the team start following the team in a, in a more in-depth, um, you know, manner. And, and and obviously, you know, with Dan Weber, he's bringing a lot of insight to the to the staff now. Uh, they get a lot more of the team and a lot more insight with that in the off season. And then lure them in with the recruiting process. And then once you start in with the recruiting process, there's no going back. You know, <laughs> it sucks you in. It sucks you in. It yeah. sucks you in. It's uh, it's uh, it's drama. It's twenty four twenty four seven drama. All right. Well, Gerard, thanks very much for the info. We'll talk to you next week. Everyone else, we'll be back in thirty seconds talking more USC football. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, our third and final segment. We are bringing in our new uscfootball.com beat writer, Dan Weber, talking all about the USC football team. How are you doing, Dan? Hey, Ryan. Uh, doing good. Enjoying it very much. Yeah, your first uh, first week, real first real week on the job. Everything been going okay? You've been pretty popular on the message boards there. Right, and I, I, I maybe I shouldn't should or shouldn't say this, but I, I'm finishing up also doing the lectures for the uh, for the Riverside Press Enterprise. This is uh, last night was my last game, and I, I've got a uh, they very uh, thoughtfully called off practice today, so I've got one more lectures practice tomorrow <laughs> and a story to write. Uh, so I've been kind of doing double duty, but it's uh, you know I I mean I was a high school football coach, I you know was a college sports information director. College is where, I mean, college, the combination of college and football is truly where, you know, I want to be, and I think it's where an awful lot of people, you know, it's just the great spectator and spectacle sport in America. It's the emotional, the one that gets, you know, people's, uh, you know, hearts going, and uh, it just has, uh, there's just something about college football that, that, as far as I'm concerned, nothing else, uh, you know, comes close. And uh, if you get lucky enough to be near or involved with the program with the kind of tradition uh, and, and all the special things that go along with that as, as University of Southern California, I mean, you're just, uh, it's really, really blessed. So, and, and, and then the, 
there's this that we have the access at USC uh, that you have nowhere else in the world, and and that's just wonderful. I mean, I have a, a friend of mine who covers Ohio State for the Cleveland Plain Dealer and uh, lives in Columbus. And I think he was telling me two years ago he got to see him uh, uh, practice 20 minutes <laughs> over the whole year. Oh, my God. And he, he lives in Columbus. He got to see him practice 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> so uh, USC fans are beyond uh, fortunate that we have uh, that kind of access to the program and that they have – through us, uh, the access to the program. Uh, it, it's really, really amazing. No, Coach, I mean, uh, yeah, Coach, sorry, Coach, sorry. I, I would say that to Coach. It is pretty amazing when we talk about the access you get. It's, uh, I mean, it's unprecedented if you feel really lucky. And it's great. I mean, the fans love it because we get them all kinds of information from practice, observations, and interviews and stuff that you really just couldn't get anywhere else. You could not. No, you could You know, it would take so much longer and you did, you're basically at the mercy of what somebody's telling you. Um, and, and here we, you know, I mean, I mean, we're picking up, you know, something that's said between a drill or, or, you know, just the, the nuances of things, uh, you know, like coach Baxter stepping in front of him yesterday. And the first thing he, he tells him is he picks up the kind of team uh, up down, you know, is, uh, uh, he makes a reference to who's going to block a kick, you know, connecting the drill and the exploding off the ground and the spinning and the acceleration through their, uh, you know, first few steps uh, to blocking a kick. I mean, that's just that little thought put in the back of somebody's brain that that may well result in blocking a kick. And you just see why uh, his teams at, you know, Fresno State were, were so successful. I mean, you, and he had a, it was very interesting to watch. He had a presence in front of the group that really commanded their attention in a very quiet, kind of authoritative way. <laughs> and to hear the whole group, you know, within just seconds, uh, as he'd ask them a question, and they'd be, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, I don't know that we've seen that before. No. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was, it was really, I mean, it was a, just a wonderful little moment uh, that made you think, uh, Lane said it, but I, you have to agree. What a, what a 10 strike that it was to get uh, uh, Coach you know, John Baxter to come in as uh, associate head coach. I mean, just, uh, uh, I, I just, you couldn't be, uh, if you're a USC fan, I wouldn't think he could have been happier. Uh, you know, who who could he possibly have hired? I don't know that that, that you'd have been happier about. Yeah, well, that actually, our first question came from uh, Kevin Kevin S. Uh, we had a, another Kevin ask a question earlier in the podcast, but he wanted to know about the impact that John Baxter could make on special teams and Florida. I mean, uh, Florida State, Fresno State blocked, I believe, it was 50 field goals from 02 to 09, and. Kevin wanted to know, well, with better athletes that USC has than Fresno State had, do you think that this could finally be the year that USC starts to block some kicks with regularity? Well, I think uh, there's a place that, that where the college game is different. I think you, you put, I think probably if you look at how they prepare teams in the NFL, you could say that maybe if you spend a whole lot of time on that, the athletes there are still – so good that they're not going to, no matter how good guys you've got, you're trying to block kicks with, 
they're probably going to be able to prevent you. If everybody does everything right, both sides, you probably shouldn't block a kick. That's not the way it is in college. You got people playing people from different parts of the country. Uh, you got different levels of athleticism. You got different choices you can make as to what kind of athletes you put on your special teams and things like that. So I think, it, you know, at the college level, I, th- I think you really do have a chance. I think Virginia Tech is the other program where, you know, Frank Beamer has made a decision that we are going to block kicks. And they have block kicks. And they have made it a really valuable part of their program. And I think uh, uh, the decision obviously has been made uh, as to uh, the fact that USC now is going to try to do that. Uh, the, the emphasis wasn't there, and it just wasn't that important to the program and probably didn't matter a whole lot in those early years. Uh, uh, they were getting plenty of turnovers, <clears throat> excuse me, plenty of turnovers on defense. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, they didn't need quite the same kind of game chamber, changers, and, and people were still trying to throw the ball deep on them in the early years. And I think they turned a lot of those around. Uh, but uh, I think it, it, it was a missing element in USC, uh, you know, in their, their their defensive, I guess, if you want to call it defensive attack, was uh, the, uh, just a lack of maybe focus on uh, on doing things like that. It, it just uh, there was a, a much more of an emphasis on uh, protection than there was on uh, on uh, on blocking kicks. It, it it just didn't seem like it was like kind of like the way Woody Hayes used to talk about, you know, passing the football, you know, a couple of two bad things could happen for every one good thing that happened. And uh, I think that was kind of the way USC looked at a lot of the special teams is just to, you know, get through it. Uh, don't make it hurt us, but it's not a weapon that we're going to use against people. I think now it's going to be a weapon that they're, that USC is going to use. Uh, he's a very impressive guy. Just the little bit we got to see the other day, uh, the, I think the players picked up on that immediately. No, I agree with you. Yeah. They, he uh, was so. he was impressive looking out there, and uh, I can't wait to watch what they do uh, coming in spring football and stuff. But he was the last kind of cog in the whole coaching staff, you know, machine that Lane Kiffin was putting together. Um, they kind of they uh, came out today and said that that they really don't have an offensive coordinator. Kiffin will be the de facto offensive coordinator, which was I think a lot of people expected i mean there was definitely a chance I mean, people felt that maybe they could bring in like you know when they were talking about norm chow or some of the other big name potential offensive coordinator candidates and just kind of went with uh you know hiring some position coaches some guys with them some offensive coordinator experience but it's going to really be lane's offense to run what, what did you think about all that how it all came together yeah i think uh i i would say they could not if you Given them all the other, all the different options in, in terms of who they could have hired and at, at what positions and all that, I really don't think they could have done better, any better than, than, than bringing in, uh, you know, John Baxter. I think the second thing he brings with him is uh, is uh, the academic, uh, uh, you know, creative academic programs yeah, that academic he's been involved plan. with, and he's yeah, uh, yeah it's called like the academic re- game plan, yeah. Right, I think that really matters, and I think the third thing: thirteen seasons at Fresno State, where they're used to playing big-time programs on the road, uh, they've had to solve lots and lots of problems at Fresno State. They've had to figure out how do we make this work against Wisconsin, let's say, 
you know, in Madison, or how do we make this, you know, whatever, USC and, and the Coliseum. And they did, and they have. And I like the idea that you're coming from a program that hasn't had everything going for it, but it's always, you know, constantly with every personnel choice, every recruiting decision, every game situation. Uh, he brings uh, a tradition of let's figure this out. Let's get the exactly right answer here. And, and I like that. I think also on the offensive coordinator, I would not have been, uh, you know, uh, totally uh, at all unhappy if they brought Norm Chow in just because of the symmetry of bringing Ed Orgeron and Norm Chow in and saying we understood how the how it all worked back then that it was a it was a combination of a lot of different inputs and it was a there was a creative tension I think there were other voices in the room with uh, with Pete and I think the product of that kind of uh, uh, a process really was a good thing and that it was all about a process I do think what I'm hoping is that with uh, with Lane as the offensive coordinator and the head coach, my hope is that we don't get too, uh, I don't know if the word is sophisticated or too high-tech or too specialized, and, and try to win with our athletes and not, you know, be a team where if you line up the USC team like last year against Stanford or you line up the USC team last year against Oregon, that the USC fans are sitting there saying, well, I know what Stanford's going to do. I know what Oregon's going to do. I wonder what the hell we're going to do. Uh, and I think that carried over, I think, to the players. I think there was almost too much, um, uh, I don't know if it was, if it was coaching, but too much, uh, 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 it's hard to even describe what exactly was going on with the offense last year. But whatever it was, it just seems like simpler will be better. If you look at the, you know, you basically look at the running backs. I mean, this is now a program with power running backs who have speed. I mean, and, and that's not necessarily, the, you know, the program that, that Reggie Bush left them. Um, and I always thought, you know, they didn't become a really great football team until Justin Fargus got healthy and started being able to run off tackle and made a lot of other things open up and made the passing game really, uh, the play-action passing stuff and all that. And what you'd like to see is a pretty traditional uh, power-running, play-action passing, throw the ball down deep, throw the ball deep, give uh, Barkley a chance, and, 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 and not try to fool people in any other way other than they better be ready to stop, you know, Alan Bradford and, uh, and, and a, a 212-pound C.J. Gable and people who were going to get, you know, we're going to get off tackle, we're going to get outside, and we're going to turn them upfield uh, quickly, and we're really going to be able to block it, uh, which we weren't consistently able to do last year. So you'd like it to be where the offensive coordinator doesn't have to recreate, you know, the greatest offense in the history of the world. Uh, uh, but basically has to be really solid, really sound. And when I watched some of Tennessee last year, I thought he got the most out of, uh, out of what he had. And I thought he made, uh, you know, pretty good use. And, and, and I know that when he was at, uh, when Lane was at, uh, Oakland, they became uh, a significantly improved running team. And, uh, so, uh, and maybe this will be, uh, you know, somewhat in reaction to, 
a game that will forever live in infamy. You know, the UCLA 13-9 game where they couldn't run the ball off tackle. And they couldn't run the ball off and inside those uh, crash in US or UCLA defensive end. So uh, maybe that, you know, that will be instructive uh, going forward. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, – so I think, I think they've fallen into place really pretty well as you watch the coaches interact with the players. You see what each of them bring. People I talk to at Heritage Hall, they really tell you that we really like the personalities of this group. Uh, they're fun to be around. They're interesting guys. They uh, all bring a little bit of a different perspective. Uh, I know I grew up in the Southeastern Conference and, 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 and both loved it and can kind of look back on it at some times and you thought, come on, guys, this is uh, – but I do think the advantages of coming – uh, from the time they've had in the Southeastern Conference, I think uh, actually, I think it's a plus. I, I don't think it's, I know that SEC hasn't done all that well playing USC, and, and one would hope that that's the case uh, going forward. But, uh, but I like it that they, they had that exposure to the craziness and the, uh, and the rabid, you know, fans and how important it meant, it was to, you know, all of those states down there, that college football. Uh, I think that's actually good preparation, uh, you know, for, for the, the guys who, who come, you know, are coming here this year from that route. Now, do you think that that can tra- you know, the staff has been through, a lot of them have been through kind of the rigors of the SEC. Is, are they going to be able to translate that to the, to the players that, that weren't really out there, guys that have been on the roster for a while, California kids? Are they going to be able to kind of instill that, those kind of uh, instincts and stuff upon them? Well, I think what, what's happening is I think the kids, you know, I know they're being told this, but I think they already knew it. Okay, now's my chance. And that isn't unlike what you saw with Troy and Carson and that first group, uh, you know, that Pete was lucky enough to, to have here when they, you know, pretty much figured out, okay, this is our chance. This is, you know, the new staff. It's a new opportunity. We can make it happen. And I think you're seeing more of that uh, in these kids uh, where they feel like they're getting a second chance. They're getting a new life. I mean, you know, it wasn't the end of the world last year, but it was a season that everybody can react to and say, uh, this is our chance to bounce back. This is our chance to be what a USC, you know, uh, football team is supposed to be. And I think it's putting the emphasis back on team and program uh, where some of that may have gotten a little bit, and this may be the downside of having the, you know, three Heisman Trophy winners in four years, having the Reggie Bush uh, uh, era, uh, was that I do believe there were more kids that came to USC over the more recent years who had in the back of their mind they were going to be the next Reggie Bush. Probably didn't have any idea how hard Reggie Bush worked to be Reggie Bush. All they, you know, saw was, uh, you know, the end product and, uh, you know, how good he was and how things he could do that just looked, you know, special, natural, God-given, not understanding that what you saw in Reggie Bush was, was the end result of a whole lot of really hard work. But I think there might have been a little bit more focus on the individual and a little less focus on uh, how important. For example, I mean, I think it's a tragedy in some ways that last, not this past year, but the year before, 
that team that's not all those guys on to the NFL with, you know, you got four starting linebackers in the NFL and you got all that talent and they didn't win an national championship. And, you know, you can say, well, let's make the best of it and talk about how individually each one of them did really, really well. But I do think lost in that individual, you know, we had the best NFL draft two years in a row and blah, blah, blah. lost in that a little bit was, but why didn't the team, you know, ultimately get to the, you know, championship game and get a chance to, to, to prove how good they were because they didn't. And uh, I think that focus has to come back where that's the first thing you focus on is, is the team and uh, how good can the team be. And then a byproduct of that is what happens uh, to the players as they, as they go on. But, uh, but I think that focus probably is back on team. I think that probably has helped a little bit by, by the new staff and where they've been and, and the things they've done. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really positive. I mean, I think the Baxter hiring, uh, I just think that makes you can't not be positive about the staff. It'll be interesting to see how the offensive play calling works out. I think that's something, you know, probably number one to watch in, uh, in, um, in the spring ball. And I, my my number two thing I'm going to watch in spring ball is the offensive line. I think they've underperformed the last couple of years. I know there's an awful lot of, you know, four and five star talent there, and uh, uh, I'd like to see them be really, really, really consistent and really physical. And I don't see, think we've seen them as physical as probably they need to be. Uh, uh, and so that'll be my, maybe my second focus in, in spring ball. There's going to be lots to watch in spring ball and we're it'll be fortunate enough to have you covering for us, Dan. Thanks very much for uh, joining us. And we hope we can talk to you again next week. Thank you, Ron. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, and we'll see you in practice. All okay. right. Everyone, everyone else, this is the Peristyle podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.